Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be delving into Vietnam and the Vietnam stock markets and a particular investment trust in Vietnam holding. Uh, regular listeners to the podcast will be familiar with Vietnam holding because we've welcomed Craig Martin, who's the, the chairman of Diamond Capital, the manager of Vietnam holding, onto the podcast previously. Um, so Craig, welcome back and thank you very much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure, Jonathan. It's lovely to be here again. So, Craig, when we were speaking, I think it's probably back towards the beginning of this year, there are a number of potential scenarios that we were looking at, um, not only for, for Vietnam, but for the global economy. And, and a lot of those have come to pass. Of course, there were concerns about inflation. That's well documented now. Of course, we're, we're in a cost of living crisis here in the UK and people will uh, know about that. Also, there's been... Uh, a number of rumblings in emerging markets, you know, noting what's happened in uh, Sri Lanka recently and obviously the discontent there and how that's spilled over. That's That's been uh, observed on, on news channels here. But let's now go to Vietnam, Craig. How, how are all these things playing out for the Vietnamese economy and the Vietnamese stock market at the moment? Well, great uh, question. I, I suppose uh, the only thing I got right probably when we last spoke was that the macro remains robust in Vietnam. Good growth levels in terms of GDP and the long-term uh, and the mid-term prospects are fantastic. Uh, what we didn't see was the external impacts, as you say, of rapidly increasing you know, inflation in the US and in Europe uh, and obviously the war in Ukraine uh, and all these uncertainties. Um, and all that doesn't directly impact Vietnam. Clearly, you know, the Vietnamese investors and and companies are keeping an eye on what's what what's going on, and, and I think it's important to kind of identify that not all emerging markets are the same, and not all frontier markets are the same. And it's dreadful to see what's happening in places like Sri Lanka, and also in other countries like Pakistan, perhaps that are very reliant on the inputs of energy, oil and gas, and as uh, you know, gas and oil prices have, have risen. Those countries have been hit really, really hard. For Vietnam, it's a very different story. Half of Vietnam's energy mix is actually from within Vietnam. Uh, hydropower, um, renewable energy in the form of solar and wind make up you know, 40 to 50% of the energy mix. And then even the other items, oil, gas, coal, Vietnam's got some of that. It does import, it's a net importer of crude oil and it does import uh, some coal, but it hasn't got those same kind of exposures that um, are hurting some of the other emerging market countries. So, so Vietnam's macro looks good. Just posted uh, kind of record growth levels for the second quarter. And the full year, we're, we're looking at six and a half, seven percent GDP growth, which if you, you know, remember from previous calls, is pretty much the average of the last 30 years. It's never a smooth line, is it? There's always ups and downs. And during the two pandemic years, Vietnam printed much lower GDP growth of three you percent, know, but it's still growth. And then when you look at the inflation issue that, as you say, UK and US, we're seeing scary numbers, aren't we, of inflation and cost of living. And, I, you know, I feel very sorry for people that are so directly affected. In Vietnam, um, it's a different stage of development and a different mix. 
Uh, and its inflation is probably only going to be you know, three and a half, maybe 4% or so by the end of this year. So it hasn't got the same uh, problems. Um, Vietnam produces a lot of its own food, so it can be self-reliant on many aspects. And it's a big exporter. So it's exporting a lot of stuff to America, um, dollars strong. It's earning those foreign, foreign reserves. So it's, the country's balance sheet is, is robust. Inflation's low. Growth is high. And the mid-long-term plan for Vietnam and its opportunities are intact. But, you know, everyone is watching what happens when the Fed adjusts their interest rates, I think, later this week. And, you know, what happens in Ukraine globally in terms of mood and, you know, can the Americans upset the Chinese anymore uh, and these kind of issues. So it's a very interesting place. And the markets do the markets never quite go in tandem with that. Uh, and, and the global markets are down 20 percent plus, you know, the first half of this year. And so was Vietnam after a stellar rise last year, but the macros in a very different place. So we're, we're very positive for the mid and the long term for Vietnam. So let's now touch and pick up on those points there that you mentioned there, Craig, that in terms of the economy, uh, the trajectory isn't and hasn't really been impacted, you felt, by what's happening here with the cost of living crisis and obviously the Fed's rates. Um, but, I mean, do you think that it's, it's shifted the opportunities within Vietnam? So, of case, of course, we're going to stay the course with the, the economy and, and the growth there. But have there been any more sort of new opportunities that you've seen that have arisen in Vietnam due to what's happening externally, maybe? Yeah, look, I think Vietnam has two tremendous stories. One is the export and the external story. It's a big trading nation. It's a very open economy, 200% of its GDP through trade. Um, so it exports a lot of stuff. That might face some headwinds if you know there's a deep recession in Europe or in the US, which are those kind of export buying markets for stuff made in Vietnam. So th there's a potential kind of headwind there if uh, you know the world does go into recession. But the domestic economy of Vietnam is also very strong and robust. And the people are coming out of two years of, of lockdown and pent-up demand and are consuming and spending and, and traveling within the country. They can travel internationally as well, but domestic travel, there were 60 million domestic uh, tourism trips made in the first six months of this year in Vietnam. You know, it's 100 million people and you know, people are traveling, but 60 million, that's 40% higher than pre-pandemic. That's 40% higher than 2019. And then one of our portfolio companies is a, a jewelry retailer. Now, jewelry in Vietnam, it's a very fragmented market. Uh, you know, 80% of the market probably is kind of non-branded. We call them mom and pop shops, kind of casual retailers. But then our portfolio company is a branded business. It's called PNJ. And they've got about 15% of the market share. And in the first six months, they've seen the revenue grow by, you know, 60% and their profit up almost 50%. So they're opening new stores. They've got brand appeal for the older buyers that want to buy gold. And when inflation's up, people buy gold in Asia. But then they've also got great customer base with the younger population that want, you know, silver jewelry and fashion statements and pieces that they can interchange and what have you. So you know, I think the domestic story is very attractive. We're seeing great growth in our retail companies. So PNJ is one of them. We've got another retail company, Mobile World, which is a 
a category killer. It's, you know, it's succeeding. It's got massive market share in many segments. And many of these businesses, because of the pandemic, have become more digital. So they're seeing they're growing their market share. They're becoming big um, digital retailers, omni-channel retailers and app enabled and what have you. So, you know, it's tremendous um, opportunity. And, and the bigger picture, I think, is that Vietnam is still in a demographic sweet spot. And as long as the world doesn't you know, go back to the stone, stone age and deglobalization and massive recession, which you know, unlikely we'll get all of those things, those perfect storm, but that the domestic story is, is strong and attractive. And, and lastly, we have another business, FPT, which is a digital champion. It does well both within the domestic market of Vietnam, you know, with data cloud services and broadband and pay TV, but it also services an international uh, customer base that want to lower cost. They have to change their banking systems in Japan or in Europe. Vietnam's a great place to outsource that work to. And, and FPT, which is our number one position, is really uh, you know, going at great guns, growing 20, 30%. So there's some tremendous growth stories in Vietnam. Uh, the stocks are getting cheaper um, because the market's perhaps moving a little bit sideways and is down 20% this year to date. So you know, if you're able to take a you know, two to three year horizon, there's some tremendous opportunities in the market. So, Craig, there's a few things I want to pick up there. Thank you for highlighting some of the the companies in the portfolio which have done particularly well. I mean, the, the standout one there for me was that the jewellery business there, seeing revenue growth of sixty percent so far this year. That's that's pretty strong numbers. Yeah. Um. But but sort of looking at these companies, I mean, are, th- are these ones being swept up in in the de- in the sell off in in Vietnam's um, economy? Or are they holding their own? For, for, to me, looking at these companies, if they're seeing, um, you know, being tired of the same brush as maybe. You know, the rest of the Vietnamese um, stock exchange and they're seeing sharp declines whilst you know, really producing these very strong figures. I mean, that, that to me suggests that there's a there's a huge, huge disconnect between, you know, share prices and, and valuations and historical norms. Is that something that you're seeing at the moment in Vietnamese equities? Yes. Look, certainly in the, in the first kind of six months of the year, everything was down. Um, and there are two reasons for that. Uh, one was that. Over the last couple of years, the market's been up a lot. <laughs> and obviously, sometimes there's a pause for breath. But also, the market players have changed a lot in Vietnam. Um, very much a, a retail investor-driven market, uh, you know, with large numbers of, of retail investors participating. And they, they've taken a bit of a pause this year. Uh, and the, the, the trading volumes are down probably about a third from, from the retail investors. And they've been diversifying their holdings. So there's... Generally, yes, a, a move down. I think it's more, a more, now more of a divergent story as, as the Q2 numbers are, are coming through into the market and people are seeing. So this jewellery business, um, I say the first half, it was 60%. And in the second quarter, it was up 80%. So you know, I think companies are showing good growth and people can see the brand and see that the stores are popular, um, will gain interest. And again, so I think there'll be a divergence. You've got to be on the ground you're going to be looking at these companies and, and engaging with them. And, and to be honest, we're, you know, we're fortunate. We've, we've known these businesses. We've been invested in this jewellery business for over 10 years. When we first started to invest in it, it had a, a market cap of about $200 million. So it was tiny, you know, family-owned business uh, listed on the stock exchange. It had a private equity investor in it as well. 
it was really below the radar screen of many, certainly all foreign investors. Um, and now it's market caps $1.2 billion. And it's you know, performing really well. Uh, good, also good uh, values driven business as well. And, you know, they're really trying to do more on the ESG front. Although we're a relatively small investor uh, in, in the company, we're well regarded by them. So you know, my, my business partner and the CIO of Dynam Capital Tin, he gets calls from the management team of PNJ, but also other businesses, uh, because he's respected in, in giving good advice on better corporate governance and training of directors and ESG reporting. So we've got a good rapport with these companies and the ones that we've been you know, backing for many years are strong compounders. And if you find a business that's compounding its earnings by 20, 30%, well, that's fantastic, right? And you know, that, that delivers ter- terrific portfolio returns. So um, we're a longer term investor and we, you know, we, we do trim our portfolios, but we find good names and we get to know them. We, we build a high conviction. Some of the retail investors, they've probably got a lower or a shorter time horizon, maybe you know, three months or so. And so there can be periods when there's volatility. Uh, but if, if you know the companies well, you know the sectors, um, it, it, it pays to, to, to remain invested and, and be, but be nimble around the portfolio, which we're able to do. Fantastic. I just want to pick up there on some research that, that you've been doing, actually, I think probably a couple of years now, Craig. So I remember uh, looking at your rise as the retail investor, or rise as the Vietnamese, of course, uh, Retail investor report. I think it's probably probably last year or maybe the year before. Have you seen any major changes in the attitudes of of retail investors and Vietnam? And are there sort of any takeaways in terms of sort of major stats that that may be worth noting? Yeah, look, it, it's early days. We we started this research as you say last year. We've done about four waves of the research. And in that period of time, that's really been, as we titled it, the rise of the retail investors. So last year, in 2021, there were about 1.2 million new retail investors. In the last quarter of this year, there's been another 1.2 million retail investors registered. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean their accounts are fully funded and active, but people are getting enabled through their apps and through their brokerages to have accounts, and they're putting their toes in the water. So what we've seen is this year alone, in 22, the first half of this year, probably more trading accounts have been opened than the entire previous 18 years in Vietnam. So it's something like five, five and a half million trading accounts. It's probably more than the UK. Uh, and then you've got these new investors that have been investing somewhere between three months and you know two, three years with different levels of sophistication. And what we've been tracking and seeing is that sophistication is increasing. So in the early days, people were looking for insider tips, should we say, from friends and market participants to guide their decision making. Now they're looking at probably two camps. Some are looking at the fundamental uh, research and the brokerage reports and looking at balance sheets. And others are looking uh, you know, at charts and momentum and, uh, and, and flows. But they're doing research and they're getting information through their mobile phones and trading on that. And not in mean stocks, but in you know, real businesses, in some of the larger cap stocks as well. So sophistication's increasing. What we have seen is that the volumes have come down in terms of the daily liquidity. 
last year they were at record levels of close to two billion dollars a day. Um, they're down to about a billion, and actually, you know, we've seen the volumes come off about thirty percent in the first uh, six months of this year. Um, and so people have less money in the market. They've taken some money off. Some of them been diversifying into gold and other assets, but they're waiting and they're aware. <clears throat> they're consuming a lot of media, a lot of YouTube and other information sources. They're watching the market. They're watching the global news tapes as well. You know, they'll be waiting to see what happens in terms of uh, the U.S. Fed rate rises and what happens in terms of global moods. So it's an interesting market. They're still very, I would say, volatile in the sense that, as I say, they're checking the stocks <clears throat> every day, several times a day in some instances, uh, don't we all? <laughs> and they're uh, then probably trading out within about three months. So they're an important force in the market. The other thing that's happened, which is very interesting, separate to that uh, research study into the retail investor, who really came into their own in the last two years, the foreign investors had been kind of quiet or less involved in the market they're starting to come back in as well. So it could be, you know, Q3, Q4 this year, we could see the retail investors get motivated again um, as strong numbers come through in the market and we could see foreign investors. And I think then we could see, you know, a real positive uh, mood and flow into the Vietnamese equity story. So, Craig, let's now drill down into the the fund and the portfolio. So I think by the, the last time we spoke, uh, I remember looking at a presentation and looking at the discount to NAV, um, which is the share price of Vietnam Holding Investment Trust and its net asset value. And that mm. discount was about 4% when we spoke uh, earlier on this year. It's now gone out to about 15%. And this isn't something that's happening to just Vietnam Holding. This is something that I've, I've noticed across many uh, investment trusts. I mean, is that something that, you know, as a manager of an investment trust concerns you, or do you see it as an opportunity for investors, maybe? Look, I think it's both, uh, being honest. So the, the yeah. discounts do move around. I think last June, it was probably even higher. It's probably about 20%. And then, as you said, by early January, February, it had come down to about 5%. That's a discount between the share price and the net asset value. And now it's about 15%. But we're the narrowest of the three London-listed funds that are focused on Vietnam. Um, I think it's very interesting. That, I mean, if you look at the underlying portfolio, what we hold are all listed liquid Vietnamese equities and, and about 5% of the portfolio is in cash. And these are great businesses. You know, we reckon the portfolio EPS is going to be 25 30% this year and reasonable valuation and you know, daily liquidity. And yet the fund's on a 15% discount. So I think it is an opportunity. If you're prepared to invest and you know, hold for two to three years, then you're getting a, a portfolio at a discount to its NAV. You're buying a, a pound for 85 pence and you're getting you know, great underlying names. And with us as a manager, we're singly focused on Vietnam and uh, it's very concentrated portfolio. So they're easy to understand the businesses that are in there. Uh, top 10 is about almost... 67% of the portfolio, 68% of the portfolio. So there's nothing kind of funky. There's no kind of uh, derivatives in the portfolio. We're not invested in private equity, which often you know, can cause these discounts to widen and persist. So I think it is an opportunity uh, for investors. Also, the fund is listed on the London Stock Exchange and there's daily liquidity. So 
you know, I think it pays people that want to kind of get to know the story, can invest, they get the, the, the NASA value at discount, that they can, you know, start to build a, a position and, and, you know, diversify their, their portfolios and, and, and also, you know, participate in what is quite an interesting uh, country and they can, they can get, get more exposed to it that way. So for us as the manager, there's not much we can do about the discount, but the board of the fund, of the investment trust, are super focused on it. They understand that over time, they, you know, people want to see these discounts narrow. So you know, they, they do a share buyback program, which is accretive. They buy back shares every now and again and cancel them. So that's good for the, the net asset value. Uh, and last year, they did a tender offer at a 2% discount to net asset value. So they're very aware of what happens. But you know, fundamentally, we want the performance of, of, of what we do and the story to get better known and uh, and we hope that over time, that in itself will help to narrow the discount. Thank you. So, Craig, let's now look at you know a bit of the bigger picture. If I'm an investor and I'm, I'm looking at Vietnam and thinking, okay, there's a compelling story there in the economy and I see growth going forward and I want exposure to Vietnam equities. I mean, what, what would you say, you know, the, the, the biggest benefits are, at looking at Vietnam holding, as opposed to uh, you know, possibly over-diversified big fund which covers Asia and has a bit of Vietnam in it? Yeah, look, I, I hear it a lot, and, and, and I can understand it. You know, someone in, in London might just say, oh, I'll buy that fund, that's the whole of Asia, I'll let the managers decide which country it is and which stocks, and, yeah. and I don't have to worry. I think the problem with that is, you know, apart from the fact the manager's sitting in London or Edinburgh typically, and you know, you're, you're out from the pulse of the market. It's a bit like buying a dozen eggs from a, a dodgy grocer in the back of a van. Some might be off, some might be cracked. Uh, but I, th- I think the reality is the larger funds um, that are pan-Asian will likely only have exposure to a few, maybe some of the better-known companies in Vietnam, and therefore miss out on some of the real growth gems. People, uh, Companies like PNJR Jeweler, which... You know, used to be $200 million in market value. It's now $1.2 billion. Um, many of those funds probably aren't in that, whereas we're in it and we're enjoying the, the journey. Uh, and we also, as a manager, we only invest in Vietnam. We've got a specialized research team engaged with the management of, of the businesses we're invested in. And so we're nimble, and we think that nimbleness leads to outperformance. So you know, we think that it pays to be specialized and focused for somewhere that may seem exotic like Vietnam. So I always encourage people to uh, you know, have a look. Um, there's, it's a very interesting country, great country even to visit as a, as a tourist. So, uh, and we're happy to talk to investors. So if anyone comes out um, to Vietnam on holiday, I'm, we'll always buy them a beer or a coffee or something. But you know, seriously, it's, it's, it's a market of interest. It's a growth market. It's diversified to much of the rest of the world, diversified to much of the rest of Asia even. And other emerging markets. So for a portfolio, I think it can add real, real, real value if a UK investor is looking to, to diversify um, with a view to you know, the mid-long term. I think that's important. You've got to kind of want to be a mid-long term holder and, and really see the benefit uh, and the growth come through into your portfolio as a result. Fantastic. So just to finish up now, Craig, looking at Vietnam for the rest of the year, and of course, Vietnam holding. What are you expecting to see, uh, and what particularly excites you um, for the rest of 2022? Well, it comes back down to the macro and the strong growth, 
and the fact that, you know, we think some of the stocks are a really good value and yet good growth. But obviously, people are kind of watching and waiting to see what the Fed does, what happens in Ukraine, what happens in kind of global politics. So, you know, it could be sideways uh, for the next uh, quarter or so. But we actually think the, the fundamentals are strong in Vietnam. We could see a very strong Q3, Q4. So we're quietly researching, adding to positions. So again, it comes back to this point that if someone was interested in, in, in Vietnam holding as an investment opportunity, you know, maybe put a toe in the water, add to the position you know, over a, a few months or so, follow the market developments. And as I say, plan a holiday and I'll buy a beer for anyone that comes out uh, to, to, to meet with us. So you know, we, we think it's a good time to be um, you know, looking at uh, funds that you know trading at a discount, like Vietnam Holding, a 15% discount to net asset value, but where the underlying assets are, are simple to understand, high quality listed companies in you know, retail segments, in real estate, in banks, in industrialization opportunities that will benefit from you know, the three to five year growth story in, in Vietnam. And hopefully that translates into you know, good diversified portfolio returns, returns for UK investors. That's great, Craig. Thank you very much. Another comprehensive insight into the the Vietnamese economy as well as Vietnam holding. Uh, So, Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure for me. Thank you so much. So just as a note to listeners, do check out the notes to the podcast because there will be a link through to the Vietnam holding website where you'll be able to have a look at Uh, the fund in greater detail, look at the portfolio and download the latest fact sheets as well as uh, uh, some of Craig and the team's commentary there. So do check that out in the notes of uh, this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.